Welcome. Welcome to Know Your Roles, the podcast where we talk all things entertainment. We talk sports, TV, film, music, literature, dance. We get into food. We make silly comparisons back and forth between those things. And we talk to interesting people in the process. I'm one of your hosts, Mr. Mr. I don't know why I call myself Mr. I'm one of your hosts, Dave Kleinman. And this is my co-host, Mr. George Payton, Melvin Gordon III. Take it away, George. They keep getting better every week, Dave. <laughs> also, please keep in that part in which you say, I just called myself Mr. It's like I <laughs> thoroughly enjoy that on my end, so you have to keep that. Uh, Dave, this week on the podcast, we have rock journalist, radio producer, author of the book, Louder Than Hell, Catherine Terman, and we're going to be talking about rock bands and Halloween costumes. But before we get into that, how are you doing? Oh, George, I'm feeling uh, I'm feeling like the movie theater experience isn't dead. <laughs> uh, although it should be masks and vaccinated, <laughs> uh, just just as a caveat. But uh, I've been to like a couple of like bigger movies in the last like couple of weeks because it's like this is like the return to some semblance of like a season. You know what I mean? Like the movies that are going to be up for awards and like. It's around the holidays, and uh, yeah, I saw French Dispatch and Doom, which were like ev- event movies. So it was fun. I was, you know, nice to feel uh, f- feel that again and have that experience. And I didn't feel this way until I watched uh, Dune again on my TV, <laughs> but uh, I saw it in IMAX, and totally worth it. See it in IMAX for sure. <laughs> All right, George, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good. I uh, I had to cut like a like a lame bar shift last night, but I got a little baked a week ago, and I bought Foreigner on cassette tape, and it came in the mail yesterday. So if you are having a bad day out there, listeners, I implore you to listen to "I Want to Know What Love Is" by Foreigner. It'll make you feel pretty fucking good for five minutes. Like you know what? There is there there is a good place that my brain can get to, and I want to know what love is by foreigners. Shout out fucking rules, and it's fifty years old, forty years old. So yeah, get put that put that on at like four in the morning. I was like, hell yeah, I want to know what love is. Throwing that gospel part, amazing. And I want you to show me. <laughs> it's it is age nicely that too. <laughs> yeah, I, anytime you can uh, give give foreigner a shout out. I'm sure you're a, you're a happy man. All right, George, what do you say we open up the bar? Absolutely. Today on tap, we have the aforementioned Dune, which we both saw. Um, the new War on Drugs, I Don't Live Here Anymore, which comes out October 29th. And uh, finally, the last thing on tap is Chuck Klosterman's The 90s, a book which is now up for pre-order for a book that comes out February of 2022. But I keep getting updates about it, so I think we should talk about it. So since you already mentioned Dune, let's go ahead and talk about it. Dune, what were your early thoughts? Because you have seen it twice. Yeah, well, I didn't finish it on TV yet, <laughs> on uh, HBO. I, I'm like a uh, half hour <laughs> half hour from uh, finishing it. I've broken it up, which uh two and a half hour movie. But I had to see it in the theaters. I mean, first of all, like I said, I, I think it really kind of should be seen in the theaters. I, my attention span just like isn't, uh, like I have to be in the theater because <laughs> if I'm at home, like I'm definitely not making it through two and a half hours. That being said, I did feel that it was pretty well moving. You know, it's a hero's journey. And like, it, it's a story that we kind of 
like I haven't read the book. I, I'm not familiar with the books. I mean, somewhat familiar just because of like the cultural stuff that has been filtered down to me. And like, I've seen, I believe all of at least most of David Lynch's version, but it's like kind of a distant memory. You know, the story isn't like a revelatory, like new, like crazy new different story. It's just the same thing, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of nuance going on. Like I, I really liked it and watching it the second time. Like I really, um, I really found it to be like what you wanted it to be as far as like this epic and, and uh, you know, because it doesn't, my problem with some of those kind of movies are they go towards like the corny side. And this to me wasn't corny. Like, even if you kind of know like what's coming, like it's still worth the journey and visually it's incredible. I'm excited for the second movie, but that's not going to come out for another year and a half because they just like greenlit it what did you i what did you think george how did you find it so i saw it in reverse i actually watched it at home <laughs> and i've already seen it at home twice but i'm an old guy so the cool thing about watching movies at home or watching that movie at home is i was able to have, have the subtitles on which is like which is key yeah. so now when i see it in the theater next week it's like i'll know what they're talking about it won't be blown out by the sound yeah. um it's uh the first time i watched it i felt like i was like i don't know what this is about and the second time i was like I think I got an idea. So now I feel like I can have a conversation with, with like a Dune nerd. It was like, but yeah, <laughs> but what about the sandworms? Yeah. So no, I, I, I enjoyed it. So the two things that stick out of my mind that I, that, that I think are underrated, but that hasn't been mentioned. That's uh, Timothy Chalamet's hair. Number one, which is a plus as a guy who doesn't have hair thoroughly enjoyed that. And then number two, Rebecca Ferguson fucking rules in that movie. So we need to, they need to talk more about her. She's awesome. Yeah, she she is really good. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned about the subtitles. Like, I did the reverse. Like, I watched it at home with subtitles. And and uh, definitely, like, I was, like, there was things I missed because, like, my hearing is also not great. So I was just, like, blown out into wall of sound. But hearing the fucking Hans Zimmer score, like, I'm glad I saw it in the theater first because also there's just, like, there are these shots that, like, you watch at home of just, like, the spaceship just rising or something like that. But with this fucking Hans Zimmer score and like the massiveness, especially how I saw it in IMAX, it's really fucking impressive. And I also just want to say, like, I think it's really a cool like arc for uh, this director, Denis Villanueva or Denis Villanueva rather. Um, he is Canadian. He's Charlie Villanueva's older brother. Friends. No, uh, um, French Canadian uh, and he's done like a number of films and like kind of started in like smaller indies and has like worked his way up. And the last two movies he did were Arrival, the like kind of alien encounter movie with Amy Adams from a few years ago. And then the sequel, the Blade Runner 2046, uh, the sequel 2046. Is that what it is? Mm hmm. So, and he, I actually read a, an article with him too, that he actually said that like, he didn't feel that he could have done Dune 10 years ago because he needed to do those films in order to like understand the technology a little more and have a feeling of that kind of an epic story. I find it interesting that he is one of those Dune nerds, which you were mentioning, super into it. One of the great quotes from him is like, I did this to make myself happy first as like a Dune, as like a fucking hardcore Dune head. Mm -hmm. So Yeah which neither one of us really is, but still thoroughly enjoyed it. And I think that like, you kind of get the sense uh, that they did without having read the book, you do get the sense that they did do. They were faithful to it. He was faithful to it. All right, moving on, George, what, what do we got next? 
the new War on Drugs album, which comes out uh, October 29th. I Don't Live Here Anymore, their fifth feature. Or feature, uh, like I guess they have got a couple EPs, but this is their their fifth uh, fifth LP, and they've already got three tracks that are that's already out that you can listen to, which is "I Don't Live Here Anymore" featuring Lucius, uh, "Living Proof," and I think "Changes" came out earlier this week. Um, uh, as a whole, I like War on Drugs. They're one of my least favorite band names of all time, <laughs> right up there with like Diarrhea Planet um uh and uh sound tribe sector nine i don't understand that name but um they uh, the war on drugs is like almost kind of like a stoner version war on drugs stoner like tom petty uh so uh i'm looking forward to the new record they're going on tour in 2022 so and i I know you listen to record i'm listening to new tracks what do you think um so far i love the three tracks that they've they've uh come out with you know that's so funny that you mentioned that because i've always kind of thought of them as like they're the hipster bruce springsteen <laughs> um because it's like the same kind of thing it's just sounds like, and like the guy kind of sounds like bruce springsteen to me and it's like this symphonic like kind of it's yeah it's really interesting but uh yeah i the first three tracks that they, like i said they're the I've really enjoyed them. And there's one track, uh, I think it's living proof where he sings. He's like, I'm in Chicago. So anything that says Chicago, I'm like, (laughs) I'm in, I'm down. You got me. Yeah. So that, that record, uh, is coming out today, the day we're releasing this podcast. So yeah, I'm, I'm sure by the time you're listening to this, George will have already ordered it. Yeah. Well, I actually don't own any of their records on vinyl, but I, I did like um, their last record, which has got a uh, it's got some fun tunes on it. Very very long, kind of guitar heavy, which I thoroughly enjoy. I just hate that name. They should just call themselves the War, because of like the tr- the trauma from like the actual time period. And I just think history. it's silly. Yeah, it's silly. <laughs> yeah, the drugs call themselves the drugs. I probably like that. The ons, the on the. <laughs> The on the I, I would I was like oh man we're the on the I'm like <laughs> I mean if they want to be the war on drugs can they call themselves the Nancy Reagan I was gonna say the Nancy Reagans the I think era. there was a band yeah. called the Nancy Reagans <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think there was, I love that there is. there's a band I'm seeing November 13th called Drug Dealer I'm like oh, what are we doing why are we doing this <laughs> all right uh, what's next George final topic. The last thing that we're going to be talking about is Chuck Klosterman's The 90s, which is a, a book that comes out in February 2022, but you can pre-order right now. Uh, you and I are both big Chuck Klosterman fans, and I love 90s content, whether it's The Real World, O.J. Simpson, uh, anything from the 90s, The Buffalo Bills. I don't really give a shit. I love I love '90s content, so this is a book that I'm really looking forward to getting. Dave, <laughs> I like that. Those are the things that you mentioned about the '90s. Um, Clear but, Pepsi. Yeah. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't say I don't. I don't know if I would say I'm like a huge fan of Klosterman, but I've read a couple of his books and thoroughly enjoyed. And it's actually like uh, somewhat relevant to the conversation we are, we have with Catherine uh, on today's show because she covered a lot of the same bands and he like i read his book when i was in my 20s uh i think sex drugs and cocoa puffs and he is like a huge guns and roses fan and uh like i liked them when i was like a small child and then i i didn't and then 
like I read that book and went back and listened to them. And I was kind of like, Oh, I, I get it. And there's one thing I totally agree with him about, which is the song on appetite for destruction rocket queen. It's like a six minute long song, but like at like three 30, it changes. And the change, the rest of the song is like the best song ever made in history. <laughs> rocket mm-hmm. queen. Listen to the second half of it. Second half. Um, George, what, uh, anything else about, uh, the nineties nostalgia or anything you want to. Yeah, no, I mean, any, any, any nineties stuff, I, I, Bill Clinton, Lorena oh, Bob and Hootie and the Blowfish is just sign me up for all of this content. <laughs> uh, I met Chuck Klosterman once he came into the double Windsor shout out to me. <laughs> and I, of course kept it cool for like a second. And then I fangirl, you know, that scene in Boogie Nights where it's like, the guy goes, you're Dirk Diggler. Uh, that's how I was like when I met Chuck Klosterman. She's like, you're Chuck Klosterman. So I'll be pre-ordering this book this week. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, I think uh, I think that's good on Bar Talk. What do you say, George? I think we're all tapped out. Let's go talk to Catherine. So this has been like a year in the making because when this when we started doing this podcast, you were on the short list of people that I wanted to have from your experience as a rock journalist, from your experience in writing a book, uh, Louder Than Hell, the the, the, the tell-all book about the, the history of metal. So I'm super stoked to have you because uh, you've been one of my favorite people that I've that, that have come in in the double winds over the past nine years that I've worked there. So thank you for being oh. on the show. Well, thank you. Um, back at you, not about your metal book because I don't think you have one, but uh, <laughs> and all that. <laughs> there's there's still time. I mean, you did write the quintessential one, so it's like I, I, I'm going to learn from you. Well, I think... Uh, a big star book might be yours. Oh, hey, look at that. <laughs> Need any advice? There's definitely an alternate universe, George, that's like a grizzled rock journalist somewhere. I know. I've spoken to him. He uh <laughs> always surprising with the nuggets he knows or whatever he's playing that uh, I'm listening to at the bar. So, yeah, I'm, I'm on my toes around him. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm I'm yeah. I'm I'm obsessed with rock journalists, which is like uh, I'm tickled pink to have you on. Like on my wall is a framed copy of Cream magazine in which Van Halen and Billy Squire are on the cover. So no, this is this is this is one of those podcasts. This is more for me than it is for anything else. So thank you again for being on. I'm excited. Good. So we're gonna dive right into it, Catherine. Uh, I I know you're uh, an LA person and like even though you're you live in Brooklyn, you're LA through and through. I was like, just tell us about your journey from USC to like your first assignment as a rock journalist? Sure. Um, I would say my journey starts in high school uh, because as soon as we turned 16, we got driver's licenses and I grew up, you know, eh, four miles from the Sunset Strip probably. And you could get in a lot of clubs when you were 16 or had a fake ID. So uh, (laughs) I had both of those. So before even college, I was going to the Troubadour a lot. Troubadour was all ages. And um, at that point, I'll give away my age. I won't tell it, but you'll be able to guess. In the When I was in high school in the early 80s, um, it was new wave and metal kind of concurrently in the LA scene. So one night I would see Wasp with Blackie Lawless throwing meat into the audience at the Troubadour. The next night I would see the Motels or Berlin or some kind of new wave as, as we, we called it back then. Um, And then also going to record stores, um, in the front, they had all the free giveaway papers. And I started picking those up and like, my English papers are better than this. And that's kind of how it started. And I, I think I did my first interview, maybe even before going to USC, but that solidified that 
I'm going to do journalism. And um, yeah, then I wrote for the Daily Trojan, the name, the name of the, the paper. Uh, and interestingly enough, I grew up near UCLA, which is on the west side of town, but they didn't have a journalism school. So um, that was kind of the only reason I ended up at USC, because it was kind of another word that's not around as much preppy. It was very much a preppy school, and I didn't fit in at all. And so when I, I wrote for the Daily Trojan, I wrote about, um, there was a band called 45 Grave. Then I, my, one of my first big interviews with Deet Snyder, Twisted Sister, that must have been 84 or 5. And so I made people at USC well, I don't know if they read it, but I wrote it. <laughs> so yeah, that was, so, you know, from the school paper, I actually graduated to um, local magazines uh, and it happened. And funnily enough, I'm still friends with there's, there's kind of one person, he was a publicist and a musician. And, you know, everyone's trying to do a million things just like they are in, in Brooklyn and in our creative world. And he said, oh, I'm publicizing this band. I see you write for your school paper. Why don't you write for some other LA papers about my band? And uh, he got me into Music Connection, which is a magazine that's still going out there. And um, BAM, which I eventually had a column in and, and chronicled the whole LA scene in the early 90s when it was super exciting. I can talk more about that if you want. And then I got an internship at the LA Times calendar section through USC. So college was a good thing, even though I have zero friends from college because I was just uh, go to class, write for the paper, hit the clubs and do homework sometimes. So that that's in a nutshell, a, a large nutshell. <laughs> that's me. I would love to hear more about that, that LA scene. Uh, I'm from Chicago and oh. have lived uh, much of my life on the East coast okay. and I'm, I'm just about 40. So I don't, I, I, that's a foreign, uh, I don't really have that much of a concept of, of that, that LA scene. Can you share like what that was like coming up in that? Sure. Um, <sighs> I, I just missed like the very early days, or maybe I wasn't quite cool enough to go to clubs like the Starwood, which is where early Motley Crue were starting. So I didn't see early Motley Crue, um, but I, I saw a lot of, you know, like I mentioned, like Quiet Riot and a lot of those bands. And then in the mid eighties, it was just going crazy. And the bands I liked at that point were like, um, Guns N' Roses. I saw them in their club days. I, um, in fact, uh, I had a boyfriend who was in a band and um, his bass player left and he said, oh, I have a friend moving from Seattle. He can join in my place. And it was Duff McKagan. So I met Duff before he joined Guns. And then we were just, I mean, there was such a huge, exciting scene. Um, Geffen Records was signing a lot of these bands. They were, I, I kind of like the bluesy street metal stuff, like bluesy street glam, for lack of a better word. Um it's it's kind of hard to uh, say, but those bands never, most of them were never really big. There was a band called Raging Slab, who I loved, one called Junkyard, one called um, uh, Rock City Angels. A lot of them were bands who had moved to L.A. because, you know, MTV had shown, here's the Sunset Strip, here's this. And, and the strip really was like that. It was just a couple blocks of guys in, you know, huge hair. I'm sure George had hair like that. Like, <laughs> totally blonde, spiky, uh, uh, Aquanet. That was the, that was the hairspray of choice. Um, you know, just sleazy guys looking like girls, girls also sleazy. It was also sort of centered around a club called Gazaris, which if you've seen the movie, the decline of Western civilization, the, the metal years by Penelope Spiris, 
Um, that scene, that wasn't quite so much my scene, but I knew a lot of those bands. I mean, Van Halen did start at Gazari's, but then it turned into like all the, you know, Poison Broke. And then it was all the Poison wannabes, like the second, third, fourth rate glam bands who went on for a few years, like names like Tough and Damals and... Um, I mean, Warren, I guess we're in that first scene, didn't love them. Again, I liked like the dirtier, prettier uh, street stuff. So, um, yeah, it was very, very exciting. You could go out, um, and I did go out like four or five nights a week, a couple of clubs a night, and there were always new clubs opening. And that was, yeah, that was the uh, the 80s. And then after Guns N' Roses broke big, um, that scene sort of died. Though, I mean, it was it was insane. I mean, the Rainbow, if you've ever heard of the Rainbow Bar and Grill, it's a legendary hangout. When I first went there, I was 16 with my fake ID. And I met, um, who did I meet? Oh, I met Brian May from Queen. And all the rock stars were still hanging out there. Like in the 70s, it was a place where Zeppelin and all those people hung out. In the 80s, it was just, you know, glam party central. I mean, I don't, re- I mean, I, I didn't realize then how lucky and special it was, I guess. It was just like, it's Friday, let's, you know, dress up and pre-game with some booze someone bought for us and uh, go to the rainbow and see if we can spot any celebs. And then afterwards, you go to after parties in the hills or um, one of the coffee shops. There was one called Ben Frank's. A lot of people hung out and um, one called Cantor's, which is still there. Uh, a lot of people hung out there, including... Rodney Bingenheimer, who's who's a, a well-known DJ on a, a station called K-Rock. So yeah, K-Rock was kind of the more alternative new wave stuff. And then we had a couple of great rock stations, which is something else I've found, sadly, New York has never really had uh, and doesn't really have now. I mean, there's Q104, the classic rock station here in New York. But um, yeah, we had a lot of great radio in LA and just, it was, uh, you know, uh, once in a lifetime scene. I mean, now when I talk to friends who still live there or lived through all this, they're like, I said, is it me? Am I old? Do I not live there? And, and it, it, it's great, but I just don't know it. Like, no, it's, there's nothing like it was. So yeah. And there are, there's a, another, uh, if you like my book, George, there's a book called um, nothing but a good time. It just came out recently. Uh, two guys wrote it and it's kind of like, my chapter in Louder Than Hell, which is, you know, the Sunset Strip years, theirs is a whole book of that. And it's done like, like Louder Than Hell in an oral history mm-hmm. form. And it's got, you know, Dokken and Keel and um, Striper and, you know, everyone. So, yeah, it's a it's a very rich time for, uh, um, you know, writers and TV, like Motley Crue's The Dirt, you know, that kind of uh, spawned a, a renewed interest in that whole time. I read in an interview, I believe it was in Pace Magazine, and in that interview for when you were talking about Ladder in Hell, this is about 2013, you said it was the perfect book for you to do. Now that there were a few years removed from the working on that book, I think it might be time for the Catherine Turman story. It might be time to tell like your whole story. So do you still, still, do you still feel that same way now? Well, I mean, I, I don't feel I have a story. I have stories. Um, but I don't feel like I am, I'm uncomfortable, uncomfortable being central to a story, I guess. Um, and I, it's, I have a hard time believing that my stories are that interesting. I mean, I guess they are, 
like, you know, I was in the studio when Guns N' Roses were making Appetite for Destruction, you know, just for a day. But, you know, I have little anecdotes. But I, <laughs> that intro? That's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> right. But, yeah, but that's that's two pages. Where's the rest of the book? I mean, I guess I could. I just, um, that's why, like, louder than hell, it's, you know, me telling other people's stories. Um, I've done a few mm-hmm. first-person things. Um, it's not my comfort zone, but I'd like to try to, uh, I don't know. George, you actually inspired me the other day, um, or maybe it was on an email or something. So I just, I pulled this out again, which is the Lester Bangs book. And I'm like, could I write like this? Could I be more first person? Could I be in my stories? And I thought about why I hadn't, or could I, it, it just, it seems a little harder for women maybe um, cause I was always concerned with keeping my, um, my reputation, um, you know, and he's like, we drank and partied and did this and hung out and the babes were this. I'm like, the judgment is di- very different. Yes. It's a little, yes, exactly. So I thought, you know, yeah. So, but I'm sure I could do something where I don't have to give all the, the juicy details. Not that there are a lot. That's the other bummer. There isn't that much to tell. <laughs> um, but I'm still ongoing, you know, it's not, my, my story isn't over. I hope I'm still writing a lot. So yeah, we'll see. I, I My co-writer on Louder Than Hell, John Wiederhorn, he's done like three books since then, but they've all been, um, well, two of them have been uh, telling other people's stories. He did Scott Ian from Anthrax's book and um, Al Jorgensen from Ministry. Um, but I, I started doing a book like that with a singer named Mina Caputo, who was in a band called Life of Agony. Uh, She's a trans woman, um, began life as Keith Caputo. And that was an interesting story going along. We had a publishing deal, but then it just kind of fell apart from her end, from my end. I had a hard time writing. She wasn't sure if she wanted to publish it at this time. So kind of fell apart in the middle. Um, So yeah, right now I am not working on a book, but if if you want to push me or throw ideas at me, um, you know, I'm we, up. We, we can, we can talk <laughs> over to Bricks. I've got some ideas that you should get into. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, I was going to say, I'm sure George has plenty of ideas. Um, I just love to hear a little bit more about louder than hell. Like, as you said, it's an oral history. So the, to me, that's kind of like a massive project. Uh, how did you go uh, you and your co-writer go about, amassing all those interviews and were a lot of those interviews things you already had that you're collecting now and like how did you know of what uh, what we need to get now you know exactly exactly um well it was both of our first books so um i actually the very like the very first interviews i did for the book i asked people what is heavy metal i mean we (laughs) i got a few answers and they're in the book but i'm like this is not how we do this so that was just me starting off on the wrong foot momentarily. Um, but I think part of the reason we got a, a book deal was that both John and I had huge um, archives of interviews, as you you know might have supposed. Um, he's been a metal writer. He's an East Coast guy. I was the West Coast person. Uh, this all came about when I first moved to Brooklyn. And he's like, oh, my writing pal, cool. And you know, then this came up. And interestingly, we had the same agent as um, uh, Please Kill Me, which is the oral history of punk, Legs McNeil. 
And the agent was like, you two are the people to do a metal version of, of Please Kill Me. And we're like, we are? Okay. Um, so what really helped us, you know, help help stop me from just asking, what is metal of everyone? Um, you have to do a whole uh, proposal for a book. Um, I mean, at, at the proposal, I had no idea. I thought it would be like a one-page paragraph. But he's like, no, it's 30 pages. It'll take you a month or two. I'm like, oh, my God. Um, and so you have to write out all the chapters, all the everything who you want to talk to. So then it did come together. And then we saw, you know, who we had, who we didn't have. And then we started going after the people we didn't have. And what was also good is that John um, was a little more into hardcore. He grew up in Boston. Um, so he liked hardcore and knew more about it than I did. Also like uh, death metal, Norwegian black metal. Um, I knew more about, I guess, classic rock metal or proto metal, I think it's called in the book, which is, um, you know, Alice Cooper, MC5, Iggy and the Stooges, even the band Mountain, you know, who, who were kind of the beginning the beginnings. And then both of us loved and knew um, like Pantera and a lot of the, the 90s bands. So um we, we tried to do a lot of fresh interviews, but we did rely on archival stuff. And we did some interviews together. This is in the pre-Zoom era. So we would, I think he had a, a most of the time he had, we'd do it at his house and he had a spare phone, you know. Um, so I get on the extension. That's the word extension. So old school. <laughs> God, it wasn't even that long ago. And um, we did quite a few interviews that way. And the interesting thing is sometimes people don't, musicians bands don't care about being in a book because they're just publicizing their latest record they're like oh we're on this press cycle we're turning you down and that that happened with like bruce dickinson from iron maiden and a couple other people so we we use sneaky ways to get around it um like i also work with alice cooper so we're like oh alice would love to talk to bruce dickinson so aha we get him in the studio and you know do a secret ambush interview for the book <laughs> um so that's how we were able to get some people. And there were still some people we could not get. Um, a famous one is uh, like Richie Blackmore, you know, amazing guitarist. And he just, he is super into um, working with his wife on medieval music and like Christmas music. Yes. Um, and so, yeah, actually, I think he lives on Long Island. We're like, we're going to just drive down to a Starbucks and wait for him to come in someday. <laughs> and then uh, we decided that's not, you know, professional or a good uh, way to use our time. So we had other journalist friends who would, who gave us interviews. So we didn't even do all the interviews. I mean, we did uh, 80 to 90% probably. Um, but when we had some holes to fill, we would go to other people and they would say, sure, use it. Um, so that was really nice. In one or two cases, we might have even taken something off a video, um, a quote that we needed, like, oh, no one talks about that night when um, Rob Halford sang for Black Sabbath because there was a fight between Dio and Ozzy. So, you know, let's get that from somewhere else. Um, so it was nice to, to be able to fill the holes in that way to have those resources. Um, but yeah, that said, we did. I, I think the the blurb or the marketing stuff said 150 interviews. I think we did like three, I think there's 300 in there or something. 
Wow. Yeah, we went a little crazy, for sure. <laughs> and in fact, I feel like I'm talking too much, so feel free to stop me. Um, uh, no, no, by all means. I was uh, living in Park Slope. I was married, but that wasn't going very well. <laughs> and, you know, John and I were struggling. He's married with two kids. So my husband and I split up and I moved into my co-writer's basement. So that made, so I would just go up the, the basement stairs in pajamas and then we'd work, you know, in his living room until his kids had to go to school and back down in my basement. I mean, it sounds terrible. It was a studio apartment. <laughs> it was the illegal kind that, uh, you know, recently got flooded. It was one of those. Um, so yeah, that's how we finished the book, I think. And that, that at four years, pretty much. So that was the latter part of it. <laughs> yeah. So one of my favorite movies of all time, and I think one of the best movies of the past 20 years is Almost Famous. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I enjoy about watching that movie is watching William trying to interview Russell throughout the movie. And he keeps going, I was like, come back. It was like, uh, I'm, I'm feeling too honest. I was like, I don't want to be talk I don't want to talk to you right now. Yes. Has there, has there ever been an interview that you completed, but you had the William slash Russell moment in the <laughs> film? How much did that resonate with you when you saw it? Oh, very much. I mean, I guess, you know, going into an interview, you kind of know what you want and you're praying for it. Um, and sometimes it doesn't happen for whatever reason. Um, I'm trying to think. Yeah, I, I, well, the worst, the, I guess the worst things that have happened to me, and this wasn't in conjunction with Louder Than Hell, but I was interviewing David Gilmore from Pink Floyd and you know, amazing interview, love him. I was so nervous just because he's such a, I think he's a knight or a gentleman, you know, he's, he's, he's ordained all this amazing stuff. And he's such a genius. And then of course the tape recorder didn't work. So I lost it all. And then I'm like, I can't call him back and say, I've lost the interview. So I had to tell the magazine I've lost the interview. I'd rather tell the magazine that I was a moron than David Gilmore. Because you still like William, we we want them to be our friends. Um, you know, that's a thing. I mean, I don't know if I feel that way, but I do. If you like someone, a person in your life or a rock star in your life, you want them to like you if you're having a face-to-face. -face. So that is a kind of a weird, difficult thing. Um, but yeah, I haven't really had to like chase anyone or have anyone say, I'm feeling too honest. There've been times when people have turned off the tape recorder to tell me something off the record. And, you know, that kind of makes me die a little because I'm like, this is the good stuff. Um, but I think that's, you know, how you have a long respectable career is, I guess, allowing, I mean, that, that's just my thought. Maybe, maybe legit news journalists would say nothing's off the record, you know, but, you know, I guess the, Music writing is a little more, um, a little softer, maybe. So, you know, you want to ingratiate yourself so you have future good interviews, I guess, you know. And it's more of a relationship, kind of, you know, like you're traveling, you could be traveling with the band, you could be, you know, experiencing the performances and everything. I think it's a deeper connection, yes. even though you're, there's still a disconnect. Exactly. But. It is a weird thing, you know, and there's times when I've felt, um, it's mostly with young bands 
you know, they're trying to ingratiate themselves to you. So you'll like them and write about them. And that feels not like a good relationship, really. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, there's so many psychological dynamics that if you think about it, you would just not like probably be paralyzed, not able to ask a question. Um, And I'm still still learning so much even in the last few years and through Zoom it's helped me a lot. I mean, it's horrified me, which has helped me (laughs) when I see myself, when I ramble on or, or trail off at the end of a question, I'm like, my God, I've been doing this like 30 years and I'm still terrible. Um, So (laughs) it's very much a a learning curve. Um, I don't know if that really answered everything properly, but, and I was going to say, Dave, you brought something up like traveling with the band and George, of course, and, all the great scenes and almost famous is William out with Penny Lane on the road in the band. And um, my career, I got the very end of that. That hardly ever happens anymore, but it did um, when I started out and I did go on the road with bands. Um, but these days it's almost like you get sometimes 15 minutes with someone like on a call like this and the publicist pops in, okay, time's up. And then they go to the next, it's just like a, um, you know, a production line of interviews. So you don't really get those amazing times, but I've, I've had a few, I've had a few. <laughs> Can you share uh, some other memorable interviews? I mean, you've, you've interviewed people that in my mind are like, I mean, you mentioned some of them, but like Axel Rose and Alice Cooper and people that have like, at the very least, very well-defined, like, public personas. Um, right. So, yeah, I'd be, love to hear about some of that. Sure. Um, Axel, I think I've probably interviewed twice, and it was only in the early days. It was only Appetite for Destruction era. Um, after that, I don't even know if I tried. Um, so, yes, Axel Rose is like the, you know, the shining star of... of of what you're aspiring to for, for an interview. In fact, a friend of mine wrote a Guns N' Roses book without ever interviewing any of them, which is one way to go about it. But I think my first interview with Axel was over the phone. I had actually like hung out with him. I think I've been up to his apartment maybe once, just because again, as I mentioned previously, I was friends with Duff. Um, so I was a little bit in that scene. I wasn't certainly uh, tight or close to any of them really, but except Duff. But Axel, again, this must have been 86 or seven. He was friendly, funny, down to earth, just like talking to any other musician dude. Um, It was, I mean, maybe back then his persona wasn't so huge. I mean, I guess during the times I interviewed him, Appetite was big, but not I don't know what it's sold now, you know, how many millions. So yeah, they were certainly playing stadiums and all that kind of stuff, but he was still not quite the, the Howard Hughes of rock yet at all. Um, so yeah. So I, yeah, I don't have any specific great stories about Axel, but I found him to be nothing but fine. And I, I was at a magazine during this time called RIP, RIP, which is a, which was a metal magazine owned by Larry Flint. Um, we had a lot of, crazy times there. A lot of the bands really liked Rip Magazine. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and we were in Beverly Hills on the corner of La Cienega and Wilshire and the bands would come by our offices. I remember 
Sebastian Bach from Skid Row came by and he wanted to smoke pot in the office, but the windows didn't open. So they like pushed open the, the drop ceiling tiles and blew the smoke up into the ceiling. And the guy that I shared an office with, uh, a writer named Del James, he was super tight with um, with Guns N' Roses and Axel's best friend. In fact, he's on the road with them now. He's remained tight the whole time. And and um, he wrote a couple of the big Axel stories for Rolling Stone back when Axel said, I won't do an interview unless it's with my friend Del. And Rolling Stone said, yes. I don't know. I can't imagine they would do that now, but maybe. Um, you know, the artist dictating the interview. I'm not sure. Um, and then I, I interviewed Kurt Cobain. Um, that was also over the phone, but I had, um, it's funny. I just posted uh, a photo of a cassette tape because back then I did everything on the normal big cassette tapes, whatever those are called. I didn't do the mini ones ever. Um, and I had a cassette tape and it said Nirvana drummer which of course is Dave Grohl. But I mean, back then it was just Nirvana. I didn't even care enough to put his name on the tape. So I'd interviewed Dave Grohl and I'm like, I hear Kurt's a little, you know, touchy. And then he told me like all these cool things to talk about, to get Kurt to talk to me. I'm like, oh, you know, Dave says you're obsessed with Dr. Bronner's magic soap. And then Kurt's like, oh yeah. we like, yeah. And so, <laughs> so I thank Dave Grohl, even then, even then, Mr. Mr. Personable. Um, helping me get the, a good Kurt interview. And then I saw them at a, I saw Nirvana at a, a small club, um, the Roxy in LA, which was the same place where I'd been to see, you know, two years prior, all these metal bands. And, you know, as they say, you know, grunge killed hair metal, did it, did it not? MTV's, I guess MTV's, um, you know, adoption of grunge and 90s rock definitely put the kibosh on, you know, all the warrants, rats, scorpions, though, you know, though the, they're all still around <laughs> in various incarnations. I think, I think grunge may have killed spandex, but the, the, none of that, none of you mentioned that because that's one of the questions that I did have for you is like Seattle was a small town. So mm -hmm. there were, there were, there were times in which probably in the early nineties in which Duff McKagan probably hung out with those dudes Probably hung out with Mud Honey. Yeah. Probably hung out with Dan Peters. I mean, so like, uh, and that's just not a word like 40 years removed. I mean, you can own those records all together and it'll be fine because it's all classic rock at, at this point. I know. It's, yeah, that is weird. Um, you know, my my day job is in radio, which is Nights with Alice Cooper, which is a classic, syndicated classic rock show. And, um, you know, when I started the show, which was like 15 years ago, um, we still had... Uh, a fair amount of 60s rock, um, you know, Janis Joplin, um, Jefferson Airplane, that kind of stuff, and even more popular stuff, Kings, Beatles, whatever. But now it's all moved 80s and 90s. Um, so now that stuff's gone, but we have Pearl Jam, Chili Peppers, Nirvana. And I find, I mean, that's, you know, radio is tightly programmed. We have someone who programs, but Alice and I, like to go, you know, off the rails. And whenever I post anything on the Nights with Alice Cooper Facebook page, I'll be like, oh, here's Pearl Jam's new song. What do you think? And then it's almost exclusively thumbs down from these Alice Cooper classic. That's not classic rock. No, no, no. We want some, uh, we'd rather hear blood, sweat and tears than, or the guess who, than, you know, Pearl Jam. Um, and now we're also playing Candlebox and all that stuff. So it's, 
Yeah. I mean, for me, I've always liked it all, but some people are stuck in their niches, but yeah, I think it's completely acceptable to um, have your Nirvana record next to your, your guns and roses Mm -hmm. record. Um, Or even like, even like cross, you could have your STP record next to your CCR record. It all is, it's all the same. If you alphabetize by initials. (laughs) Um, And actually, you know, what's here's, here's something funny. You may have discovered in your research, you know, Louder Than Hell is already over 700 pages, but it, it started out longer. <laughs> they actually sent us a photo of the printed out manuscript with a ruler next to it so we could see what we'd done. Um, they said, you have to cut a couple chapters. And so we cut, it wasn't my choice, but it was decided we would cut a chapter that was not very metal. And that was the grunge chapter, which I wrote almost entirely myself because that was more my interest in West Coast. and. Um, so I felt very, I felt a lot of ownership and I was very sad to see that go. And, and I'd asked all the, you know, I'd made all the connections. I talked about Alice and James trying to give their demo tape to, um, you know, Axel when, when, when guns came through town and, and the Melvins and Sabbath and, you know, everyone like, you know, Kim Thale liking, um, you know, whatever British, New England British heavy metal bands he liked. But the grunge chapter did get cut. And I was sad because I interviewed producers and talked about, like you mentioned, um, did you mention Green River or, or um, you know, Skinyard and, and Grunt Truck, the later band. So that was cut from the book. So if you want a grunge chapter, I'll give it to you for cheap. <laughs> I would love that. I know. Well, a, a friend of ours, John and I wrote his own awesome grunge book called Oh, shoot. I don't remember. His name is Mark Yarm, Y-A-R-M, unlike Mark Arm from Mudhoney. From Mudhoney. Yeah, but I, I think his book was called, like, Everybody Loves Our Town, and it was a grunge history. So, see, there, it's all been done. That's why I need new book ideas from you guys. <laughs> That's a kind of a bummer, because uh, from what I've heard, Alice and Chains actually never saw themselves as part of that scene. They were more into metal they were more being like we like metal bands and Kim they all the sound garden they were like also the same thing we we're kind of like more into metal but right yeah i mean i think i don't know what allison chains sounded like super early but they were definitely more of a metal traditional looking band i don't know maybe the tuning changed or i'm not quite sure how they shifted but i mean i loved allison chains i saw them a lot in the early days, I interviewed Lane Staley in, in person, and um, yeah, I, I think they're great. I have room for everyone in my ears. That sounded weird. There's the title of my book. There you go. I have room for everyone in my ears. Really gross. <laughs> <laughs> um, are there any bands that you've covered that you thought should have been bigger? There are, but now if I tell you, You'll never have heard of them because they weren't. And you'll be like, all right, great. Um, yeah, I guess in the L.A. scene. Well, actually, there's a band that I love called um, um, Masters of Reality. Um, unlike, you know, taken from the Black Sabbath thing. But the, the singer of that band is a guy named Chris Goss. Um, who is now mostly a producer, but he had a huge hand in the what we called the stoner rock scene or the desert scene. Like he discovered Caius. He took me to see Caius when they were sons of Caius 
and still in high school. I think, I, and I think I was the first person to interview Josh Homey. Is that how you say his last name? Hom? Yeah. Yes. And uh, Nick Oliveira. Yes. I love that. So, I used to love that band. Uh, Caius probably should have been bigger, but then Queens of the Stone Age were. I, I loved everything that Chris Goss did. I think Masters of Reality did like two or three records. I loved them. Um, I definitely love um, psychedelic blues based heavy stuff. The band who I mentioned earlier, Raging Slab. I love I love um, uh, kind of slide guitar Southern rock stuff a lot. I love Skinner. Um, and there was another band, um, <laughs> another band also called, uh, they were called, I love you. Maybe the name was problematic because it's like so hard to search Google, whatever. They put out two or three records. They were almost jam bandy, which I don't really like, but they were super groovy psychedelic jam bandy. Um, I love you. I don't even know if they're on Spotify, but I, I burned my CDs, whatever ripped, whatever the phrase would be when one did that. Um, so yeah, those are a couple of my favorites that you could actually still find somewhere. Um, you, uh, you mentioned 45 grave as a band. I like, because I love oh. the gun club, the gun club. Fucking oh, yes. Gross. So yes, yes, yes. Yeah. I, you know, and also again, slightly before my time, like only a couple of years, or if I'd been like a 12 year old hellion, I might've been out to see them, but um, the germs, the you know, very influential punk band. But I think Darby Crash went to my high school. I went to a high school in West LA called Uni High, and I think uh, he went there. Tone Loke went there much later. Um, Kim Fowley, the the legendary, I don't know what you want to call him, scumbag producer, impresario, whatever, who worked with the Runaways. He went there. Um, yeah, the the Forty Five Grave Haunted Garage. There was kind of a whole crampsy the halloweeny rock scene also that was super fun there's a band called tex and the Horseheads and um hangman a lot of good stuff so so catherine because of your extensive metal knowledge and you 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 know it all you've seen it all what is the quintessential metal record yeah that's yeah i'd probably ask that question too after what is metal um <laughs> <laughs> Well, to back up, the best answer, I think, came from someone who died sort of recently. I think it was Leslie West of Mountain. And he said something. I don't know how to describe it, but I know it when I hear it. I think that's what he said about metal. Fair enough. Um, I mean, it has to be one of the first three Black Sabbath records, I guess. Uh, Black Sabbath or or Paranoid, I would say. Um, yeah, I think it has to be. Um, other people feel it might be like Iron Maiden Killers or, uh, I mean, I love Judas Priest. I love Iron Maiden as well. But I did, for me, Black Sabbath, definitely. And I guess that question would also lead to, you know, Ronnie James Dio versus Ozzy. Um, I love Dio as a singer, but again, it's just the original guy is the one I feel the same about Van Halen. Um, Sammy Hagar is, uh, well, he was good in, um, Montrose. Uh, but, uh, yeah, generally the original when a young band starts, that's, I think that's, uh, that's the lineup I like. So yeah, I guess, Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, Sabbath, bloody Sabbath. Um, 
Mm-hmm. I mean, the most obvious songs, I guess, obviously are still, you know, Iron Man or Paranoid. That's, you know, what we play most on the radio that have the most. So, yeah, I, I think that sort of encompasses it. I mean, what about you? Do you, you disagree? No, no, no. I think it's, uh, it's, it's definitely one of the first like Sabbath records, probably, probably, uh, paranoid, but it's weird. Cause like, uh, I was looking at some other lists and like LA weekly, uh, from your hometown, they, they had a list and number one was rain and blood by Slayer, oh. which I, Oh, which is, is it's interesting take. Yes. I mean, well, wait, what was your question exactly? I mean, Slayer might, I mean, it started with Sabbath, I think, but Slayer might be the most iconic, maybe. I don't know. To me, they're almost different genres. That's wrong to say, but. Yeah. No, but that that's that's interesting to hear you say that because to me, like, those are very, they're very different. Like, Sabbath is kind of its own thing. And it's interesting you said the first three records, too, because I feel like that fourth record is not. Like I love that fourth record so much, but a lot of it because it's right. not it's not what those first right. three records. Are. I mean, both like uh, Ozzy and Lemmy from Motorhead would say, you know, we're not a metal band. Also, <laughs> they, you know, what it, Lemmy was usually like, you know, I like Chuck Berry and and you know, mm-hmm. garage rock and speed, the technical speed mm-hmm. and drug speed. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I think that's you know what Levy would say, and Ozzy, uh, you know, we're, we're fucking a blues band. That's all we loud blues <laughs> band. So yeah, but Slayer would say we're fucking metal, you know. So, yeah, yeah. But and Rod, uh, Rob Halford would say I'm the metal god. So uh, yeah, but I I do think like almost. Well, again, I would say almost any metal band today would throw back to sabbath but if you're a thrash metal band and younger you might throw back to to slayer um yeah or and then i'm wearing a metallica shirt today so you know i don't know where where they fit in but they definitely fit in but they're another one of those bands that like they really whatever word you want to call it like evolved or transformed or whatever over the course of like a lot of a long of a long career um, right. but like, you know, like Sabbath as well. Uh, do you think that that was like kind of an inevitability that that style of early metal just kind of like lived in though that time period? And then, you know, with the, ad, with, of course the popularization of grunge and all these right. other things that we mentioned, but like, was it kind of just like a natural, like it just kind of evolved or changed? Yeah, I think it, it did. I mean, it's funny. I have a friend who, you should get on sometime, maybe if you want to carry on with the, with the metal and rock and seventies discussions. Um, he's the singer of the band Monster Magnet, uh, Dave Windorf. He talks a lot and knows a lot more about like the socio political stuff and why this music happened at this time and why, you know, what kids were doing and the cultural implications of everything. I am not as much a student of like history meets music necessarily, but I mean. I've been immersed in Metallica lately because I, I was a story producer on this eight episode podcast that, that they did recently. Um, and they did talk about the black album because it's the, uh, for, wait, it came out in 91. So it's up 40 years, 30 years. Mm-hmm. Yes. 30 years. 30 years. Yes. Um, 
you know, and what a change that was in the slower songs and how it was deliberate, but it was also their choice. It wasn't like, we need radio airplane, bigger houses, so we're going to do this. It was like, we've played as fast as we can, and now we're a little older and we want to write this stuff. And, and they view the Black Album, even though it, I think it sold over 16 million records. It's like one of the, it's way more than that, actually. That might be just the U.S., but it's one of those, like Dark Side of the Moon or The Eagle's Greatest Hits. It's one of those, it's you know, quadruple diamond up there, but they view the Black Album as just another record. They like maybe St. Anger better or one of their other. They don't see it as, they just see it's a progression and it's one of their records, um, even though like every song on it was a hit, you know, and her Sandman, and, mm-hmm. you know, so many, at least five huge hits off of that. Um, but yeah, they just view it as a progression, I think. Um, again, I'm not sure if that entirely answered your question, but um, I, I did want to bring up the podcast, and that oh. leads me to like the question. So, the Black Album for me is like, so I'm in high school for yes. that, and uh, it, it was a sort of change of like tonal shift of like who listened to that band because, like, remember, like, when the Black Album comes out, it's like everybody who I played football with was listening to that record, and the years before that, was there other records with Masters of Puppets? Mm-hmm. Injustice for all. It was like all the weird kids were listening exactly. to those records, or the weird kids' older brother. So, uh, so now that you're doing that podcast, how are you like thinking about that time with them as well? Because it's like it is a different shift. I mean, they become huge right after that record. Yes, I mean, I think there's always the thing where, like you're saying, you have your own little group of weirdos who love this band, and you feel the ownership of that. And so, when like the mainstream, you're like you know, oh, they're not cool anymore, you know? And I definitely, I'm sure lots of people felt that way about the Black Album, but many millions more made a discovery, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And it was interesting, yeah, doing the podcast, we did, we interviewed quite a few of the artists on the Blacklist, which is their uh, tribute album to the Black Album. There's uh, 53 artists on it from... Dave Gahan to Juanes to um, Mickey Guyton, the country singer. Um, and I interviewed a lot of those people and they talked about kind of like you're saying, uh, I was in high school when I first heard Metallica and it, you know, it changed everything. Um, and it, there was even one, a woman um, from Nigeria. Uh, I'm going to pronounce her name wrong. I think it's Tome Owe, O-W-E, I think. And, and she talked about, you know, seeing the t-shirts and, and wondering uh, who they were and what they were. It was just, uh, yeah, it was really eye-opening for me. I don't think it's so funny. I mean, I saw a couple, I saw them a couple times on the black album tour and the, the snake pit and the cool stage and everything, but I wasn't an early fan. I kind of, I came in at master of puppets, I think. Uh, Cause I remember sitting in my mm-hmm. bedroom showing my mom, like, look at this cool album cover. And I'm sure she's like, great. <laughs> um yeah so (laughs) it is it it's it was really interesting to talk to them we talked to um uh the whole band well including jason and uh robert but we talked to uh kurt lars and um james over zoom for six hours a six hour day of interviewing them with a few breaks yeah just like this you know that would be james day it was tiring and nerve wracking and, and, you know, it was really intense, I must say. Um, and one of my, uh, well, one of the, my favorite parts, I think we talked to Bob Rock, the producer, 
And that was really my favorite part because I'd never um, spoken to him before. And he's, you know, the band is so, I feel so used to telling their stories, you know, and they're almost all out. All the stories they want out there are out there, you know, the ones that aren't hopefully will remain locked up for the the sake of their kids or whatever. (laughs) But yeah, I felt Bob Rock, he got pretty emotional talking about it. Um, You know, I guess it wasn't something he'd done. He's like thinking back to that time. It's such a Canadian accent. Um, You know, he, he just felt like it, you know, changed his life as well as the bands. And um, Mm -hmm. yeah, it was, you know, he, he said when they finished the black album, which was the first time they worked together, he said, I never want to see you guys again, you know? And then he started hearing it on the radio. He's like, "Uh Oh, <laughs> I think I'm going <laughs> to think we have a big hit. And then, mm-hmm. yeah, they did a few more, three or four more. I can't remember, but yeah, it was, it, well, that was really interesting. And then we, it, you know, it was his son who did the, um, now I lay me down to sleep prayer um, in inner Sandman. And, so we got his son, who's now 40, to, to recite that little prayer again, um, which was super fun. Great. Yeah, yeah, it was. So, I'm, you know, it's, it's nice that uh, my career has carried alongside parallel these, these people who are way, way, way richer than I am. And don't have to worry about the noise of buses outside there. <laughs> <laughs> the life of a freelancer. Oh, yes. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, I mean, no, I have a very fun life, I will say. I can't, I can't deny that, you know, it's having to decide which free concert to go to, you know, it's, it's pretty good. That said, I'll happily pay for anything I really want to go to when I have. Um, That's, that's, that's a good segue to like, one of the other things I wanted to bring up is like, what are some of your favorite concerts that you've been to as a journalist? And what are some of your favorite concerts that you've been to as just just like a regular old person, just like me and you. <laughs> you know what? It's it's so weird. Um, even before social media happened, I had this column I mentioned in an LA magazine called BAM. And so every time I went out, everything I saw, I was like writing in my head for this column. And it's, uh, unfortunately, that has not really left me. So Almost anywhere, any concert I see, I'm like writing in my head, which is terrible and annoying. Um, if I'm really doing a review, I will have a pad and write stuff down. Um, so it's hard. I don't know. Do I go to concerts as a lay person? Oh, I can tell you something. Yes. Um, I mean, like I, when the Foo Fighters recently opened, reopened uh, Madison Square Garden in June, you know, after it had been closed during COVID for year and a half, I did go to that show because I wanted to write about it. I'm a mild Foo Fighters fan. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have paid to go see them. That sounded awful. Um, but um, it was really emotional and moving to be in that crowd and see Dave Grohl be genuinely moved also, you know, this whole bunch of people without masks. And uh, I teared up two or three times. He did. I won't say allegedly. I'm sure he mm-hmm. did. The person I was with also did. Um, so that was really like, that was really moving. Um, there is someone I went to see recently, also just as a lay person who I'd never seen. I didn't know much about. I just knew her name. And it was uh, Buffy St. Marie. 
Um, and she was here or right near me at the, at the park in Prospect Park. And she was so good. I didn't know a single song. I knew she was a Canadian indigenous kind of protest singer, but she was so great. Then I start thinking, how can I interview her? What can I write about her for? So even when I go just as a, like, I want to check this out. Now, yeah, so I, I would love to detach, split my personalities more than they are or something, but it's all, yeah, any input I get just stirs kind of my writing brain. Um, well, it's actually more my curiosity brain. It's, it's like, you know, oh, I want to talk to this person now and tell other people about it, which is the reason I started writing was to be like, I love this and I want to tell other people about it was like kind of my and, and that's, that's still the same. So when I see anything, I want to share it in the only way I know, which is, uh, which used to be writing, now can be social media, but writing pays marginally better than an Instagram post. I hope, I hope so. <laughs> unless, unless you're a social influencer and you get $100,000 a post. Yeah. yeah. Well said. Uh, so Catherine, I, I have just one quick question for you. So sure. if you were not a journalist, would you ever consider being a rock star? And if you were a rock star, what is the name of your band? Oh my God. First of all, no one's asked me that. So thank you. Um, well, you know, there's all the disparaging things where, you know, there's a teachers teach because they can't do the thing they wanted or writers write because they can't be rock stars, whatever. I mean, I learned guitar a little bit as a kid. And I did a concert on the front lawn and played octopus garden on an acoustic, but I didn't practice and I'm a terrible singer. And so, I mean, by the time I was 13 or 14, I realized I didn't have talent. Um, so that said, I do wish I had learned to play. I was going to say something easy bass as they say, you know, before strings, maybe it's easier to learn. I wish I had learned to play bass and I could have just been in some cool garage band thing, but I, I, I never had real rock star aspirations. Now I have rock star regrets that I didn't just try to be in a band and have fun. So there's that answer. Um, what would my band be called? Uh-oh. Uh, <laughs> it's funny because of course, every time I'm having a conversation with someone, weird band names come up and they come off the tip of my tongue. And now I don't have one. Um, I mean, just some of the names that you've, that you were mentioning earlier, like I can't help but chuckle at like some of those metal names from like that era. I mean. Right. Right. Well, it's funny. Um, uh, a friend of mine, uh, we decided that we were going to like write a book together and we took fake names and everything and he got a, a new phone and he texted me and it said, maybe Nigel, because Nigel was going to be his fake name. Like, that's a great band name, maybe Nigel. <laughs> so that might be my band, maybe like Nigel. That. My fake name was Dolly Dagger. I like that. Oh. Right? Like that. It's, from a, it's from a Jimi Hendrix song. <laughs> so I would be Dolly Dagger, bass player of the Maybe Nigels. <laughs> that. that would be that's it. amazing. <laughs> I, I would come yeah. see this band. Thank you. It does sound good, doesn't it? Yeah, I think that's a band we would all see. Anyone play bass? <laughs> I'll take I'll take lessons. Though I broke my wrist recently, that might actually be some good uh, 
rehab for me. I broke my wrist at a concert, of course. Back in it. How were you, were you crowd surfing? Do, can we can we know that story? What happened? Yes, that's it. Exactly. That's what happened. I didn't accidentally slip and fall by a pool. I was crowd surfing. Oh, no. <laughs> hey, we'll take it. I, yeah, I went to a metal festival, which maybe was foolhardy only because of COVID, but I went to a metal festival in Vegas called Psycho Las Vegas. Um, and it was fun because it wasn't, it was mostly metal, but also the Flaming Lips played and um, uh, Jizza from Wu-Tang, and, um, which is actually where it happened. Mandalay Bay Pool, walking away, slip and fall accident. But I, I got up and carried on the rest of the night without, you know, knowing anything. But at least you can say there's still some danger at these shows. <laughs> I had nostalgic. Uh, I didn't spin it that way. Yes. Element. Yeah. Then I went to see Exodus and, you know, stood away in my little cast. And I actually, and then even after I had the splint on my arm, the next night, someone knocked me down at a cover band show. Jeez. Oh, I had like a big target that, that weekend on or something. Yeah. Or, yeah. I've yeah. never. I've never, all right, what's the past? I've never stage dove, stage driven, stage divin. I've never jumped off a stage. And at this age, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. That sounds even way too harrowing, harrowing for me also. <laughs> I don't think George is uh, diving off any stages anytime soon either. Mm, I can see George. Nah. Maybe. Maybe. Think, yeah. George? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, think the, I think the era of, of stage diving is pretty much over. As, sorry, as long with moshing, I saw, um, uh, actually, uh, he, he left us uh, last summer, but a uh, power trip oh. uh, a few years ago, and it was like, holy shit, that's a lot going on. I think I must take three steps back. Oh, but, uh, I wish I'd seen they were They were awesome, but it was not. I was not mentally prepared for that. Where was the show? Elsewhere. Oh, yeah we would love to have you it was a, it was it was a great show uh sheer mag and power trip uh oh. power trip, yeah. the, the lead singer of power trip he left us uh Riley Gale. was it last year yeah last year was it the time is all strange yeah i know uh, yeah. last year or the year before yes no no last year well anyway yeah that, that, i guess that show was three years ago uh two years ago anyway so, Catherine, we brought you on to, for the interview, and now we're ready to play our amazing game. And here on the Know Your Rose podcast, what we do is we take two things that seemingly have nothing to do with each other, and we make comparisons for them. And for your episode, we are doing rock bands and Halloween costumes. Uh, I usually go first. Dave goes second. And you, as our distinguished guest, you're going to go last. And uh, we each do five. So this is my first rock band and my first Halloween costume. My first rock band is The Doors. Now, I am actually not a big Doors fan. I think I was maybe like when I was 17 or 18 and I had a college roommate that was like way too into them. And he had like Jim Morrison, I Am the Lizard King poster. And it kind of got a little <laughs> annoying. I was, like, you're, you're, I was like, you're doing too much, Kyle O'Connell. Shout out to Kyle O'Connell, my first college roommate. But they are a staple of classic rock and classic rock stations and awesome. will be a staple until the end of time. So as far as Halloween costumes, the doors are the Dracula of Halloween costumes because just like the doors, they are also, that costume is also a staple. Dave. Awesome. Um, I love that you have like, you had a roommate who went hard on the doors, but the, we're talking about like the late 
90s, right? <laughs> like 96. Like, he was way into the doors. Yeah. yeah, it's an interesting uh lane to pick at that time. Um, but anyway, my my first one is probably my favorite band. They are rock, but they kind of like go in and out of different genres, and that's Radiohead. For me, they're like the arena rock band that I will still pay to go see. They I like them in part because they are pretty familiar, but they also are singular. Um and to me, it makes sense, which is why what they are as a co- Halloween costume is a conceptual costume. One of the ones that works. So like I have a couple that I thought of. One is shout out to my friend Shelby in college once went as static cling <laughs> and she just like turned her her like sweater inside out and like stapled the uh, like dryer sheets and balled up socks and uh my future mother-in-law ronnie shout out uh she's really good at that kind of costume she once went as like a composition notebook with all like just things from the house uh so yeah radiohead making it work bringing weird things together and it makes sense <laughs> conceptual wow all right, I'm going to put on my glasses because I'm old that way. Um, all right, I'll tell you guys, I had a very hard time with this because, uh, well, the, the person who was helping me with this, yes, I had help. I had an editor. It's like, you're not that creative. I'm like, I'm not? What? Uh, I really, I don't know. I was, I, My brain is missing a little something. But here's what I came up with, all that said. Um, Nickelback shine down three days grace i they are all like a ghost costume a sheet with eye holes because uh let's see they're simple interchangeable very white boring and it requires no actual thought <laughs> um so that that was your first one you can't okay so. i feel bad yeah. whoever whoever told you that you needed help with this like you you're you're killing it yeah so so we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and dispel that mythology. Okay. Oh, it's taken me over a week to do this and honing, you know. It's okay. Yeah. It's taken us a year to get good at it. So okay. Uh, unfortunately, George. I'm a stand-up comedian, so this is kind of how I talk anyway, which is ridiculous. That's why you should never have me over and have conversations <laughs> with anybody because I was like, it's kind of like a this and a this. They're like, shut up, guy. All right, so my next one, the theme of this next one is attention to detail. And uh, James Brown's backing band, the JBs from the 70s to the early 80s were just super tight and they were very, very detail oriented. James Brown was a bit of a taskmaster. In fact, uh, if you played the wrong note, you would he would fine you. So they were just, just one of the best bands as far as backing bands of all time. Now, what I mentioned is that the theme of this is attention to detail. And I'm going to shout out to a, to not really like a, like a, just, just this costume that I saw. So 2005, I'm at Whiskey Ward. I see these two young ladies. One has their hair dyed blonde, cut short. The other one has their hair dyed brown, cut short. They're wearing cutoff jean shorts, fingerless yellow gloves, and to top it all off, Choose Life t-shirts. Attention to detail because those two young ladies were dressed up as Wham, George Michael, and Andrew Ridgely. So the JBs, the backing band, those two young ladies, shout out to the best Halloween costume I have ever seen. Wham, from the Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go Wham. And now they're dancing, and the only dance they're doing the whole evening is this dance. Oh. Incredible. 
Incredible. So, JB's attention to detail. Those two young ladies dressed up as Wham from 2005 at the Whiskey Award. Dave. Wow. <laughs> Commitment. Commitment. Um, I also appreciate your attention to detail in telling us that story. Um, <laughs> I'm rewriting all mine in my head right now. At the Whiskey Ward. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, my next one. So my first one was Radiohead, the arena rock band that I like. Um, and now I'm going to do the arena rock band that I don't particularly like, but millions upon mil- millions of billions of people love them. And that's you too. Um, and I will say, I will say the pretentious douchebag thing, but I believe that this is an outlier and one of the cases where it's actually true, which is their early stuff is good. <laughs> uh, their early stuff. It's I like, I, I like those boy, albums, like, like war and boy, uh, you know? Yeah. But then when you kind of get along and even though like, I love Brian Eno and like some of the producers they work with, like, it's just not for me. Uh, just not for me. And, and I just don't think it's that interesting. Like they're kind of, they're just kind of boring to me. Um, which, which is why they're pirate costume. It's a pirate costume. Like it's like, if you really, really go for it or if you're going for like a specific pirate, like that's cool, do it. But like, also it's kind of boring. So just be a little more clever. So you two be a little more clever and it's a pirate costume. All right. Okay, um, here is one that uh, someone I love who is no longer with us and I've mentioned previously, um, Motorhead. Uh, So Motorhead, Lemmy, I guess, would be the uh, Jason from Friday the 13th of Halloween costumes because when you see the mask, you know what you're getting, a nonstop brutal assault the bass um and with motorhead you you hear those first few notes and you know what's after you and um you know you know what's coming when you when you see lemmy and you're helpless against it so motorhead is jason from friday the 13th mask good answer good answer love that answer again very well defined to both (laughs) Mm-hmm. But, but it didn't happen at the whiskey ward. I need to get more personal. <laughs> See, that's why I can't write yeah. that book yet. <laughs> sure. All right. So my favorite band of all time is the band. Between the five of them, they can play 15 instruments. Shout out to all those guys. But unfortunately, I don't think they're the best band ever. The best band ever is the Talking Heads. They were punk. They were new wave. They were art. They were funk. They're lyrically, they were just very clever. So it's funny that I mentioned like those two bands because the two best rock uh, documentaries of all time are those two. It's like it's the Last Waltz and Stop Making Sense. Now, again, that I have mentioned the fact that the Talking Heads were clever. So the costume that I have for them is the Superman costume, but not the Superman costume in which you see Superman in the cape. We're talking about the Clark costume in which he still has the glasses on he still has the fedora on he's still wearing the shirt and the tie the shirt is slowly open to show how that he's about to be superman so the talking heads are the about to be clark kent superman of hollywood costumes dave i feel like that's like much more rare like uh to see out in out in the wild The big shoulders, though the big shoulder thing. Big shoulders like, there, yeah, but they're, they're, they haven't they haven't exposed the fact that they're Superman yet. It's underneath, so it's just like it's kind of like this. Awesome. I'm just gonna wear a suit next next year and just be like, oh, I'm Clark Kent, I'm Superman. 
um, and just never show show it underneath. Um, all right, my next one is uh, a band that I really love, and they're they haven't made any music for forty years, but I still really like them, and that's the Kinks. You mentioned them earlier, um, and I think that they always just kind of like make me smile. I I enjoy their music, and it's fun, and that's why it's a costume that the references is pretty old at this point, um, but still relevant. And that's a Ghostbusters costume. Mm. If I see somebody wearing Ghostbusters costume out, I, I will smile. I, and I, I appreciate it. And also like uh, just to take it one step further, the kinks are a band that in my estimation, like a lot of modern bands try to sound like um, at different points, you know, after, after their era, and uh, Ghostbusters is constantly getting reinvented. So, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, I was just thinking about this one I'm going to mention to, to try and give it a personal spin. All right. Uh, this is a singer who I saw at the Cycle Fest after post Broken Wrist. And I dragged my friend along who somehow I thought all my friends knew something by this person because. How can you not know the song Mother? Mother. So Glenn Danzig, uh, one of the few people I've interviewed who yelled at me and ignored me. Um, Glenn Danzig is a Frankenstein costume because <laughs> there's a square head, bad hair, barely literate lyrics. A certain kind of woman digs him. Uh, as do cats and Henry Rollins. So <laughs> Frankenstein. <laughs> oh, Catherine, you're killing it over here. I was happy with that one. <laughs> 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 uh, Ooh, I'm like sweating, but still my beating heart. This is incredible. <laughs> All right, I got to pull it together for my next one. My next one is uh, it's ridiculous. And um, the band is of Montreal. There's a band I like. There's a psychedelic indie pop band. And if you've ever seen of Montreal live, it's like a rock show mixing with like a laser show, mixing with a puppet show, mixing with a drag show. It's a lot of shit that's going on on stage. It is wildly entertaining, which is why they're like the, the beast costume in the Beauty and the Beast. It's like, you got to have the shoes. You got to have the socks. You got to have the knickers. You got to have the little ruffles shirt. You also got to have the makeup and you got to have the hair. So there's a whole lot of shit going on in that costume, which is why Montreal is the beast. Wow. That makes me, I feel like I've tried to listen, but maybe I, I have to see them now because you've just described so much going on. It's it's wild. I've seen them three times. They are wild live. I was like, right. this is crazy. I'm not going to listen. I'm going to go to YouTube and visualize and make that one. Nick yeah, check it knickers. out. Knickers. Okay. Um, all right. My next one is like my my uh, current topical one. And uh, the band, are, they're a, a group of teenage girls from California called the Linda Lindas. And yeah, and uh, I think a lot of us, a lot of people that are listening may have heard about them when they went viral in the last year for the video that uh, I think it was like at the LA Public Library, um, and they were doing their song Racist Sexist Boy, uh, which is incredible, and they're awesome, they're super badass, and I think they're going to be 
around for a while and probably hopefully pretty big, which is why as a costume, they are a squid game costume. Every, you're going to fucking see that everywhere. And there's like a bunch of different costumes that they can do. Uh, so yeah, the Linda Lindas are uh, a squid game. And if anyone hasn't seen that YouTube clip or listen to them in general, uh, they, they are so good. Like, they, you should you should <laughs> should check it out. I haven't seen Squid Game though. Oh, that less important for you to check out than the Linda Lindas, I would say. Yes, I do remember. I, I saw the library. That was very cool. Um. All right, I have a couple more. Which do I go to? Which is all right. How about this? This is someone who I feel like George probably likes a lot. I don't know why I feel that. I'm just thinking. <laughs> Um, I like him a lot. He's one of my favorite recent interviews, even though I get really nervous because I, I think he's going to be um, a nut. So th this person has many, many bands. And uh, in fact, he was just supposed to play a big festival, but he canceled, sadly. My friends were even flying to Chicago to see him at Riot Fest. But this person is Mike Patton. Uh, he has many, many bands besides Faith No More, uh, I guess Fantomas is how it's pronounced, um, Tomahawk. So mm -hmm. Mike, he's he's a man of many voices. He also does uh, opera, I think, though I haven't listened to that. So Mike Patton in any of his bands is like a killer clown costume because he's creepy and bizarre and kind of intimidating. But he's really you really like him anyway despite the things that are slightly uh, tangential. So yes, Mike Patton is a killer clown who you're kind of freaked out by, but you love it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> For my final one, I usually try to stick the landing and have like something like even like, whoa, people are like, wow, this guy's really good at this. This one's not that great. It's just fine. It's just, it's like, uh, I, but I am really good at this. So we'll just go ahead and go. Uh, I am nerdy. But uh, I'm not like nerdy in like this sort of like, I guess, like the classic sense of the word. There's there's some bands out there that are just they're just too nerdy for me. And I just cannot get into it. And shout out to my buddy, Nate Bode, who was a big fan of this band. And the band is They Might Be Giants. And I've tried. Nate, uh -huh. I tried. I was like, listen to this podcast. I tried in 1997 to listen to this band. I just don't get it. It's just too nerdy for me. Which is why They Might Be Giants is the Harry Potter costumes of Halloween costumes. It's like, I've never seen a single episode mm. of Harry Potter, but it's just not for me, and I probably never will get into it. So they might be giants as the Harry Potter costumes. So it doesn't matter which one it is. I just mm. never seen it. Not for me. <laughs> mm. It's okay, George. You and I will rebuild somehow. <laughs> I feel like there's going to be a lot of people who want to murder you after the, that that statement, George. Um, but I I personally am not one of them. <laughs> like, I don't have a problem. <laughs> um okay my last one uh i don't think this will be quite as controversial but uh my last one is a a band that i didn't really know about growing up um and i wasn't really i didn't really know a lot of uh punk stuff i was kind of af or before my time uh and i grew up in the midwest and there was definitely a, a scene in chicago but but like i said i i uh that was a little before me um, it was already like smashing pumpkins and like stuff like that. Uh, and I was listening to a lot of like hip hop and R and B in the, in the nineties. Um, but 
there's a band from right before that from Detroit who I found out about much later and think is incredible. And that's death. The, the black punk bands who like didn't really experience the the success that they should have had. Um, But yeah, they're incredible there. There's a movie about them from a couple of years ago called uh, a band called death, which is really great. And I love their music because it's, it definitely has like that punk energy and, and kind of that, that sense of of danger. And and it's kind of like, it's on the edge, but it's also like really great to listen to sonically. Um, which is why as a costume, it's like a scary mask costume. (laughs) Like you, like you were saying in your last one, Catherine, like something that like is terrifying, but you also really appreciate it and, and enjoy it. Um, and I love all that stuff. Even like the basic, like the scream mask, like when you first saw that in the movie, it's like, it's super creepy and cool looking. Um, so yeah, I like all those weird masks and death, a band that is really incredible. So great. I saw them at La Poisson Rouge. They were amazing. Awesome. So good. Like, and I interviewed Like them. since they came. Yes. Like, yeah. Um, post, post the documentary, I interviewed them. Then I went up, we hugged. They were, they're beautiful people as well. Awesome. Good to hear. So I have like three left, but none of them are great. One of them was inspired by this. Let's see if we could, because I love him. <laughs> But can it's you, not a rock. Can you tell us what you're what you're holding up, Catherine, for our listeners? Yes, of course. This is the child from the Mal DeLorean. Did I pronounce that properly? See, I don't watch Star Wars stuff in general. I mean, I saw the first one, whatever, but uh he is the baby Yoda. Is that correct, you guys? Yeah. Yes, the so name is uh Grogu. Oh. Is it? If if you right. hadn't already uh, picked sure. up, I'm, just, I'm the nerd. I'm the the Harry Potter Star Wars a, nerd in this. Is it okay to call him the child? Oh yeah, I think so. But you know, I, yes, yeah. There are I some love- who would argue, but I never would because because I okay. think he's, he's perfect too. I, I share your fandom. Yes, I purchased a T-shirt with him on it. I would like to have a hover pram to push him around. I love him. Yes. And so this, I'll, I'll just go with this one, even though it's not even rock. Um, Harry Styles is the child because irresistible charisma and come hither eyes. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah I don't it. know. So I don't know anything about Harry Styles. I don't know much about the child, but I just love them both no matter what. And I would fall to pieces if I met either in person I feel like it's safe to say that they're both adorable. <laughs> yes. And if I was young, I'd say they're both totes adorbs, but I'm not young. So yeah, yes, exactly. <laughs> yes. Uh, for, for some reason, I've watched videos of him performing and he's like cosplaying Freddie Mercury and like the Thin White Duke, David Bowie. Oh. So that's a good corner. Those are both corners, good corners to be on. So yes, good shot and by him. He is like a rock star, even though he's a pop whatever former boy band correct i think mm-hmm. showing gaps in my musical knowledge but um yeah yeah i'll send you some videos just like you'll you're definitely gonna go oh yeah, yeah i already knew i could feel it just like <laughs> i know i can do no wrong neither of them awesome well i think we uh i think we did it and i have to ask you guys do you both have boogie nights posters at your uh studios there yes we do oh, <laughs> I, one of my all-time favorites though i have to say Ours too. It's 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 my favorite movie of all time. It's like it's a screensaver on my phone. 
It's in a lot of my jokes. It's ridiculous. Have you dressed up as Roller Girl ever? No, no, no. It's like if I'm dressing up as anybody, I'm dressing up as uh, as as uh, as Burt Reynolds' character because I like the hair. <laughs> Jack Horner. <laughs> Jack Horner. I'm dressing up as Jack Horner, mm. and he's got the. He's always wearing a scarf. And I think that's a forgotten look of the seventies that I've always enjoyed. It's just that scarf that tied. This is like an ascot. He he wears. Yeah, not love it. Yeah, love it. What's the difference between an ascot and a cravat? Do we know? I think it's doesn't ascot have like a like two things? Like I'm not really sure how it was like. Yeah, I don't know. But no, it's (laughs) Jack Horner is like I love I love the way Jack Horner dresses. Yeah, I would like to go to a boogie nights party. That's probably a not politically correct thing to yeah. say, given your eyebrows right now, George. <laughs> no, I'm like, it was like, I was like, I want to go too. It was like, what, what are we going? No, <laughs> I know that's George's. He's he's all over. Yeah, that's my wheelhouse. Swimming pool, drug room, you know. So Catherine, we was like, uh, we don't want to take up too much of your time, and we, you've been a delight to have. And I, I knew you were going to be great on here. Uh, you have the Metallica podcast, and uh, is there anything else that you want to like mention or talk about? And where can we find all your stuff on the socials and all that, all that good stuff? Thank you. Uh, I have a lot. Yeah, I have a lot of things brewing, but it's nothing that exciting for the the public face. I mean, I have a website, KatherineTurman.com. Um, I put up some of my my prouder articles on that. I'm writing for the Village Voice, which is back, and that's really exciting for New Yorkers. It's coming back monthly in print instead of weekly, but it's on its way. Um, so look for me there. And then other than that, I'm like editing a couple books for friends, um, which is something I love and uh, waiting to see uh, what else comes up. I did some TV work for, for uh, Access TV, which is kind of an all music network. And uh, they've contacted me. So hopefully I'll be doing some, some more. They had a show called If These Walls Could Rock. And we fo- focused on various clubs. I wrote about Preservation Hall and, and uh, the Troubadour, speaking of the L.A. Mm-hmm. And in Chicago, the um, Aragon Ballroom. I, I talked to uh, some of the legendary people who played there and run it. And uh, so, yeah, hopefully, hopefully a few things out there. I'll, I'll let you know. Definitely have me on that. I have uh, a lot of memories, a lot of memories in the Aragon. Um, I said, I told, I was, uh, you know, in the early mid nineties, listening to a lot of hip hop, like the Aragon. We used to, it used to be called the Aragon brawl room. <laughs> I did that. Yes. Yeah. Fights would break out. Uh, fun times. <laughs> and giant popcorn sized buckets of beer, apparently also. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, great, great memories. <laughs> a lot of great memories. Yeah, so hopefully I'll be, yeah. Thank you for letting me plug. There's nothing huge. Louder Than Hell is still on sale. How's that? <laughs> Amazon or order from your local bookstore, which is even nicer. Yeah. Sweet. Well, so, thank, thank you so much. This was so much fun. Thank you, guys. It was great. And I had fun prepping and, and you know, listening to your other episodes. So I knew it was a high bar. I can make bar jokes, but I'll let George <laughs> might have the, the corner on that one. <laughs> Thank you, guys. It was great to meet you, Dave. Your best. Thanks, George. See you soon. See you soon, right, guys. Bye. All right. Thank you so much to Catherine Terman. Follow her work at katherineterman.com and definitely check out her book, Louder Than Hell, The Definitive Oral History of Metal. That was awesome, man. She like 
just imagining, you know, the late eighties, early nineties, like LA hair metal scene. And like, she's just becoming friends with people like Duff McKagan and like talking to like D Snyder and shit. Like that must've been a while. It's, it's funny that she, like, I understand why she doesn't think that like her story is the one to tell, but like, I can just see it. Like I can, her story is a fucking movie. Like it's crazy. Plus, I mean, like to be around all that stuff and just be just a, just an observer is just a, yeah, it's gotta be great. So, so shout out to Catherine, wildly entertaining uh, guests that we've had. Listeners, uh, there are folks who are who are enjoying our podcast. We want to hear from you guys. So send your comparisons, rock bands and Halloween costumes to our Instagram at Twitter at KYRPod, and we'll read them on the next episode. Thanks, guys. All right. Now we're going to go ahead and move into Last Call, where we talk about things we got coming up and what we're looking forward to. George, what do you got for us? Three things real quick. I am going to my second concert in the past like 17 months i'm seeing bad religion alkaline trio and uh war on women uh, at the hammerstein ballroom this weekend which i'm looking forward to and uh two tv shows uh, one in their final season that we've never talked about on this show but one of my favorite shows in the past like five to ten years and that's insecure this is the last season of insecure and uh it's already off with the uh, off and running and then finally, one of my favorite shows, and I think has the potential to be an all-timer, and then a succession, and they're on episode three, and they are cooking with some serious, serious grease. So uh, I implore all our listeners to to check that show out. It is they are they are, it's on another level, and I think it has potential to be one of the best shows that HBO has ever done. What about you, Dave? Like I said earlier in the opening, that like this movie theater experience is kind of coming back. So I want to keep it rolling. We got that that. Uh, that season the season is here the season we've been waiting for for like two fucking years um and last night in soho finally comes out the Edgar wright movie um i kind of feel the same like similarly to what desmond thorne said on a couple episodes back about Edgar wright that like when he hits he he hits really good but like some of them it's just like it's it's like hit or miss but this looks really good i i'm i'm excited for it and it looks cool and also uh, Padma Lakshmi's show is coming back on Hulu, Taste the Nation, which I know both you and I really, really liked the first season. Uh, she kind of brings like a historical context to it and and really some thoughtful writing and, and, uh, and thoughtful TV. So yeah, Taste the Nation, the holiday, it's like a holiday season. So she's going to like go into like different holidays and she like bridges gaps between different cultures like shows how there's things that are prevalent in like all different cultures that exist like you know independently of, of one another but also like symbiotically kind of so yeah pretty interesting all right that's it for me now we're gonna go ahead and check in with our favorite regular producer mary bess for mb's booth thank you dave so New York's 2021 general election and special election for Bronx Assembly District 85 and Manhattan Senatorial District 30 will take place on Tuesday, November 2nd. Early voting is happening now and will end on October 31st, 2021. There are five proposed measures on the ballot, and individuals will be voting on races for New York City mayor, public advocate, and comptroller, as well as other local races depending on your district. 
This promises to be an especially exciting election for New York City Council District 39, where nominee Shahana Hanif is set to make history as New York City's first Muslim woman council member and first woman of color to represent the district. Yes! Ah, we are very, very excited for Shahana over here. So if you're in District 39, please pay close attention to her seat. And if you'd like to find your own sample ballot, you can visit ballotpedia.org. If you haven't already, please take this weekend to read up on the candidates and cast your votes on Tuesday. On another note, seeing as Halloween is my favorite time of year, I would be remiss if I didn't take a moment to thank all of the ghouls and goblins out there who made me the horror nut I am today. Big thanks go out to my dad, who showed me Terminator 2 Judgment Day when I was way too little to watch it, to my cosplay college friends who initiated me into the world of Neil Gaiman and Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and to my Hoff's Horror Fest Scream team. Hoff Matthews, Andrea Lupalui, and our very own George Gordon, without whose love and support, I would not be such a weirdo. Everybody, please stay safe out there, continue practicing social distancing when possible, get vaccinated if you haven't already, and have a spectacular Halloween weekend. All right. Thank you very much, Mary Bess. As always, great to check in in the booth. All right, George, why don't you give us something to be excited about? Tell us what we got going on on our next show. Uh, our next show, which is going to be November 12th, we're going to have comedy writer and writer for The Late Show with the Stephen Colbert, Carly Mosley. And we're going to be talking to her about talk show hosts and birds, which should be pretty fun. Awesome. Yeah, looking forward to that. All right, we're going to go ahead and close out this show. I just want to say thank you very much to all of our listeners. Thank you to George. Thank you to producer Mary Bess. Thank you to our designer, Amanda Zeller, and Alan Tech Kid, Nate88, and Kazo Oslo for our theme song. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Know your roles wherever you get your podcasts. And please, everybody, be safe. And I need to see your ID as well. <laughs> Oh, and drink lots of water because uh, a lot of you folks have, are, are not doing that and you're getting a little fucked up. So, yeah, have we all forgotten how to do this? Like, nah, it's, it's brutal. Not just all of a sudden amateur hour. Come on. It's Olivia Rodrigo. I'm out of practice, guys. You don't have to bring it up on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs>